Well, I probably don't need to say it to you, but I want to just start with this. The pandemic and COVID has been extremely difficult. It's been extremely difficult. Now, maybe you've been living in a little bit of avoidance or denial about that. Things have been hard. You don't have the motivation that you once had. Just stop and recognize for a moment that the COVID pandemic has been so difficult. It's been hard to know how to get through it, where to look to for hope. It's been really, really hard. I was reflecting on this a few weeks ago when I was meeting with my spiritual director, and he encouraged me to make a list of things that I've gained through COVID and also a list of things that I've lost through COVID. It's an exercise I did this past week. It's something I'd encourage you to even consider doing. What are the things that you've gained through COVID and what are the things that you've lost? And related to the things that I feel like I've lost, it allowed me then the opportunity to grieve. But then as I grieved and as I moved through the feelings of grief related to the things I lost, I then needed to ask the question, how am I to interpret all of this in light of the kingdom of Jesus, in light of my knowledge of God being who God is, his promises, his providence? Where do I go? Where do I find hope? How am I to respond? Who am I to trust? Well, this morning we're going to be answering that question, and Jesus is going to be giving us the answer to that question. Before we do that, however, I want you to take some time to read our text this morning. In response to the reading of the text, consider what your thoughts or feelings are as you initially read the text, and then spend a few moments in prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you today as we jump in to Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount of Do Not Be Anxious. Well, welcome back. I hope it was fruitful and helpful for you to read the text yourself at first and then consider some of the feelings that you have as it relates to the text. I want to jump right into the first line of Matthew 6, verse 25. And I want to explore first, what is Jesus talking about when he says the word anxious? So here's the text, Matthew 6, verse 25, the first verse of this section. Jesus says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. So as I said, first question, what does Jesus mean by, do not be anxious about your life? Firstly, I think it's important to address a couple of things that he's not saying, or what he doesn't mean. And the first thing is, I do not believe that Jesus is addressing here anxiety disorders. If you're a person that struggles with an anxiety disorder, you've been diagnosed with anxiety, this text, maybe in the past or as you've thought of before, adds an other level of sort of anxiety and worry to your life. Jesus tells me I'm not to be anxious. Why am I? We recognize as we study the impacts of the fall in Genesis 3, the impacts that it has upon our life, we are disordered. Many times not because of ourselves, but because of the DNA that we are born into, the, some of the trauma and the triggering environments that we then experience as we grow. And so what I don't believe Jesus is saying here is specifically addressing anxiety disorders. I don't believe he is also specifically addressing by saying, do not be anxious about your life, a worldview that is, don't worry, be happy. You know, don't plan, don't take responsibility. This is also not the mantra that Jesus 
is supporting here. There are other places in the scriptures that we could look to about the importance of planning and taking responsibility. So what is Jesus referring to when he says anxious or don't be anxious about your life? Well, the Greek word is merameo. And it means to be anxious, to care for, to have an anxious concern based upon an apprehension about a possible danger or misfortune. It's also helpful for us to explore this a little bit more is what is the hint of what the text before has told us and now, therefore now what this text is saying. Well, as we become enslaved, as Spencer talked last week, to treasures, as we can become enslaved to the things that we own, so you and I can become enslaved to our concern and to our worry about our lives in a way that prioritizes our own self-control over God's control. If the previous text is about you can't serve God in money, your possessions, and also God at the same time, not saying that possessions are bad, but they have a controlling influence over our lives. Jesus goes on to say that this isn't just a physical reality as far as your stuff. He's now saying that there is also a mental reality in this picture of you can't serve God in money and what concerns you and what worries you. And so here's the working definition based upon some of my reading, as well as what I've already said, as to the type of anxiousness that Jesus is talking about. This is going to be on the screen. The type of anxiousness about life that Jesus is talking about is a self-centered, illicit, harmful, corrupting, and choking worry that fosters distrust and a lack of confidence in God. Let me read that again. The type of anxiousness about life that Jesus is talking about is a self-centered, illicit, harmful, corrupting, and choking worry that fosters distrust and a lack of confidence in God. If we're to think back a little bit to the message I gave on anger, that there's a difference between a righteous and holy anger and then an anger that denigrates. So here that there is a worry that is illicit, that is controlling, and that fosters distrust in God rather than just a general worry in your life about regular planning and responsibility. Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it this way. He says, There is a kind of double vision, a looking in two directions at one and the same time, and therefore not really seeing anything. That is what it means to be anxious, to be worried, to be taking thought in this sense. What our Lord is warning against is the danger of being distracted from the main objective in life by care, by anxiety about earthly, worldly things, by looking so much at them that we do not look at God. And this danger of living the double life, this false view, this dualism, this is what he is concerned about. Again, going back to the previous text, you cannot serve both God and money. And so with some of our worries, it creates a double-mindedness of allegiance to our worries or allegiance to God. I think a helpful question to illustrate this is, do you have worries or do your worries have you? In the same way that we could apply it to the text last week, do you have stuff or does your stuff have you? Do you have worries or do your worries have you? Well, the next question I think is important to consider is what causes this anxiety, this double-mindedness that Jesus is addressing in the text? 
Look with me at Matthew 6, verse 30. It's going to be up here on the screen. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Or faith? A lack of faith, Jesus says, is where this anxiety, this double-mindedness comes from. Now, this is not a faith of a saving faith. This is a sustaining faith. It's what Paul in his letter to the Romans refers to in Romans 14 verse 23 when he says, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Eugene Peterson in the message puts it this way, if the way you live isn't consistent with what you believe, then it's wrong. So if you believe that God is in control, if you believe that God loves you and cares for you, yet your life does not represent that because you're not in faith trusting him, it shows a lack of faith, a lack of sustaining faith in what you say you believe. Now, where does this come from? You know, as we live our lives, maybe we've trusted in Christ for salvation. We've experienced saving faith. What is the struggle? Because as you know, the struggle is real. Let's say there are four idols in our hearts, four idols in our executive centers that cause this lack of sustaining faith. The first idol is the idol of control. This is the desire for certainty. And has not the last year challenged what many of us had as far as a level of certainty? COVID-19 has exposed our lack of control over life and even death. Because death, for many of us, it's an abstraction. Something technically true, but unimaginable as a personal reality. John Calvin says this, We undertake all things as if we were establishing immortality for ourselves on earth. If we see a dead body, we may philosophize briefly about the fleeting nature of life. But the moment that we turn away from the sight, the thought of our own perpetuity remains fixed in our minds. He's saying we live in a sense in this illusion of control, in particular about our death. But we have this, right? There is this natural desire in our life for control, for certainty. And so certainly that can be an idol that gets in the way of sustaining faith. How about the idol of comfort? This is a desire for privacy, for a lack of stress, a stress-free life, some freedom in life, and then in general, just an easy life. You want a comfortable life. How about the idol of approval? This is the desire for affirmation and for love from people. Now it's natural to want to be loved by others. But there is a point where we get into, then it causes this worry of, what does this person think about me that controls us? I think you understand what I'm getting at. Or how about this desire, the idol of power, this desire for success and for influence? And when we go after each of these four idols, it creates a, recreates a lack of sustaining faith because we begin worshiping or centering ourselves on these idols rather than upon God and his sustaining faith. And the gospel challenges each of these idols and it frees us to live in the single-minded reality rather than having this double vision. 
Take a look at these things on the screen about the idol of control. God is great, so I don't have to be in control. Jesus was raised from the dead when it seemed that all was lost. As I said, so many of us feel out of control in our lives, and therefore what we do is we start to worry, we start to stress about the lack of our control and forgetting who has the ultimate control. Or how about secondly, God is good, the idol of comfort, so I don't have to look elsewhere for satisfaction. Jesus is the Father's greatest gift to us, and he is enough. While we're designed to be needy and therefore to need God, we all struggle to look at things other than God for our satisfaction. Or how about approval? Well, God is glorious, so I don't have to fear others. Jesus took our rejection and earned us full approval before the Father. So many of us long for the approval of other people. We need their acceptance. But this is really, if we look at it, a fear of man rather than a fear of God. Or how about finally, God is gracious. This idol of of power or approval. So I don't have to prove myself. This is the one about approval. Jesus gave up his authority and power on the cross to secure our position in the kingdom. While you and I all want to be desirable, lovable, and valued, we want our worth to be fined by our performance. But this is not in line with what God says about us in Christ. I want to invite you now to answer some questions as we looked at this definition of the anxiousness Jesus is talking about and then begin to consider what of these four idols is most at play in your life, keeping you from sustaining faith as far as moving forward. Take some time. Well, I now want to look at and answer the question of how do you and I, how do we cultivate sustaining faith? A sustaining faith that avoids the type of anxiety and worry that Jesus challenges. And so I want to start, let's go to the text, because the text and Jesus' words actually give us the context or the ways that we can cultivate this sustaining faith. The first thing is that we need to understand all of our lives in the context of a loving relationship with God. Look at verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Our lives are in the context and are we understood in the context of a loving relationship with God. A a few Advents ago, a few Christmas seasons ago, I did a series called With. And I, I unpacked for us a book by an author and pastor by the name of Sky Jathani, who talks about four ways, four postures that many of us think about as it relates to our relationships with God and how we posture ourselves with him. And then he talks about a fifth way, which is the with way. But I want you to look at the diagram that's going to be here on the screen. He says that some people live in a posture of life under God. This is about believing that our obedience to God will lead to a blessed life with great circumstances. The mantra is, don't mess up, stay within the lines, and God will bless you. Another posture that people will have is life over God. This is prioritizing formulas and science over mystery and prayer, ultimately believing that God is absent, if altogether non-existent, in daily life. 
There's then a posture relating to God that is life from God in which you are actually not wanting God, but you're wanting things from God and what you're trying to do is use him to make your situation better. Or how about life for God? This is the posture of believing that life is meaningless unless you abandon career and passion for a life of vocational ministry and or service. This posture believes that the most significant life is the one spent accomplishing great things in God's service. And in contrast to all four of these postures, Jethani then introduces how we are to live in relationship with God, which is life with God. God. Another diagram on the screen. This is about communion with God, encountering his presence, recognizing he is with us, that he's involved, that he's aware, and that he is available. What we do is we fail to remember that life itself is a gift from God, and all of life's benefits and provisions comes from his hand, because he loves us. Second way to cultivate this type of sustaining faith is to know that he knows our needs. God, our heavenly father, knows our needs. Look at verse 26 and then verse 30 to 32. Look at the birds of the air, Jesus says. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly father feeds them. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you will live little faith? He says, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly father knows what? That you need them all. Notice Jesus doesn't say, don't worry because your needs aren't valid. He instead says that he knows every single one of our needs. I think of Romans 8 verse 32, which says, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We must recognize that when we come to put our faith in Jesus, that you and I are children of God. Therefore, he is our heavenly father. And when we see ourselves as children of God, we will know that God will inevitably care for us because he is our father. And he knows our needs. What about a third reality of cultivating this posture of sustaining faith? Three, we're to consider only the day and cultivate mindfulness in the present. Look what Jesus says. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own own trouble. Jesus is encouraging us, live in a mindful posture in the present, not in the future or in the past. God will give us the grace for one step at a time. Because here's the temptation. The temptation is for us to drive to self-sufficiency, which motivates you and I to plan everything out, to predict the future. And we certainly can waste a lot of time doing it. And what it will do is that it won't add a single hour to our lives. We'll never be done worrying about the future. There'll always be an excuse to something else that we want to worry about. And what Jesus is really saying, it's very realistic, right? Like, if the present is bad enough, why go to the future? 
Again, quoting Martin Lloyd-Jones, who says, According to our Lord, the vital thing is not to spend every day of your life in adding up the grand total of everything that is ever likely to happen to you in the whole of your life in this world. What does he write? If you do that, it will crush you. You and I know this all too well. Or fourthly, how do we cultivate the sustaining faith to avoid this type of anxiousness that Jesus is warning against? He says that our lives are to be lived empowered by the Spirit of God in faith. Think about the Sermon on the Mount thus far. Jesus has said some radical things like, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The Sermon on the Mount is to remind us that we cannot do this life on our own. We need Jesus. We need Jesus for our righteousness, for our sanctification, our justification, our right standing before God. But we also need the empowering presence of the Spirit to each and every single day live our lives. Hebrews 11 verse 1 tells us what faith means. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And what this faith leads to, as it's cultivated in our lives, as the Spirit grants us and gives this sustaining, believing faith, is reliance upon God, a recognition that you and I are not alone. I don't know where this is landing for you today. But consider this, that our lives are to be lived empowered by the Spirit of God who dwells inside of us in faith. In a moment, you're going to have a question to help you dig into that a little bit more. And so the thing we can maybe consider now as a question is what are you and I as followers of Jesus to be concerned about as far as, you know, we're to be concerned obviously with cultivating this type of faith empowered by the Spirit of God. But what are we to be concerned about? What is the alternative to being anxious about our lives. Notice what Jesus says in verse 33. He says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You know, this is fairly similar to what Jesus has said in previous verses of lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Followers of Jesus, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, We're invited to live in a single-minded reality, not this double vision, emphasizing Christ and his kingdom, what we have been looking at through the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount. What we're to do is that we're to seek to know Jesus better, to pursue all of life of holiness and righteousness. We're to put Christ first. And what we're told in this text, that as we put Christ first, our worry that double-mindedness, the illicit worry that fosters distrust in God will begin to go away. So we're to be people that seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and we're also to be people of prayer. Here's what Philippians 4, verse 6 to 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I would suggest that prayer and the amount of it in our lives is an indication of how dependent you and I are on God or on ourselves. I want to invite you now to spend some time with 
Three more questions as you begin to think about applying this message in this text to your life this morning.